Leah's said Leah's said a lot of things here in the last thirty minutes, and I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and tell them that uh, they don't they don't need to know any of it. Welcome to the Foreign Podcast. This week we are covering. Da 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 da. What are we covering again? Air speeds. I've had some rum today. Um, Mr. Griffin uh, claims he can do this because I was going to continue the series because I'm I got this hankering to get rid of all the series open ended series we have going right now. But uh, Mr. Griffin wasn't feeling that. I didn't. And, I didn't uh, want to do that. No. Decided decided to go on air speeds was another one which we've been we've had it on the uh, the episode pre game on pilot yeah, ground here. What? We, we got a question here. African or European airspeed? Um, I don't know what that means. No. Scott, you got to be really judicious <laughs> with the chat, yeah. Mr. Chat Monitor. That's, Tyler, I don't know. Tyler, it's it's a question from Tyler, yeah, okay. so I feel like we should have answered it. He wants to know if it's African yeah, or he's European. He's probably trying to stir up excrement, which is what he Tyler usually tries to do. I um, do want more elaboration because <laughs> I want to know, but it's over my head right now. I'm excited to get in the loop. Oh, it's a it's a Monty okay. Python. Good lord, um, Mr. Griffin. Yes, sir. W- <laughs> let's start. Is there a particular order you're feeling for these these airspeeds? Probably from a building block perspective, probably indicated airspeed. Probably since okay. that's we reference yeah. right off the airspeed indicator. That's what you're looking at when you uh, the gauge in your airplane. So yeah. yeah. Everything we do is in reference to the airspeed indicator. Everything we think about stall and and performance VX, VY, um, all the structural limitations, we are trained to just look at that gauge. Although there is some, there is a little bit of error there, which we'll talk about here very quickly. But that is, I mean, that's what we live off of as the airspeed indicator. So that's kind of that's the most prominent one, important one, I guess, okay, for us so- as pilots. Indicated airspeed. That's mm-hmm. probably the simplest one. That's literally what you're yeah. reading on that airspeed indicator. Yep. Why There's can't? Some bills in, yeah. Go ahead. Why can't we just always reference that? Why are? Why is there this true airspeed? This calibrated airspeed? This equivalent airspeed or ground speed? This is confusing. When I drive my car, it just it just blatantly says, "Okay, you're doing a hundred miles an hour." Mm-hmm. In a school zone, and I yeah. should see that. Yeah, but the lights aren't on. The lights aren't flashing, so it's probably okay to it's, do. It's good as long as the lights aren't flashing. You're allowed to do a hundred yeah. in, sp- in a school zone. But wh- why? Why is that right. different in aviation? What's the breakdown on that, Scott? Do you know? You could try to explain this. I feel like it'd be more educational for you to try to explain it first before Lee goes on a on a montage. Um. Yeah. So you're talking about the difference between wh- wh- why can't like. Why is our airspeed indicator on our plane different than the air or the the um, miles per hour, the speedometer, the speedometer in, in our your car? car. Well, because the speedometer in your car is measuring how fast you're going across the ground, and the airspeed indicator is measuring how fast you're going through okay. the air. Because the air is moving, the air can be moving with you, against you, crosswise, you know, moving all over the place. Yes, right. So it's irrelevant. As far as the the handling of the plane goes, it's kind of irrelevant how fast you're moving across the mm-hmm. ground. Yes, from a performance right. perspective. Yep. For yeah, I mean, if you're 
talking about like fuel and range and stuff, then obviously you need to know how fast you're yeah. going across the ground. Yeah. But, but I, I think Rob and I, it was trying to, the indicated airspeed. So if we isolate the indicated airspeed from the true airspeed and all the other ones that have errors and different factors that form them, um, he's trying to say, what's the difference between the indicated speed in your car and the indicated speed in the plane? Why are they different? Is what he was asking, I think. Yeah. Rob. Yeah. Go for it, Lee. Scott, no, Scott, Scott, I wasn't going that direction, but that was a good point. Break What's, it down. What Scott said? Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're looking a- if you're looking purely at airspeed versus like indicated airspeed versus ground speed, then yeah, but there's more nuance to that, which most people don't get into ever, especially if you're flying 150s at 500 feet AGL around the Lake Erie Islands. Um, mm-hmm. Those are pretty much the only two airspeeds you're worried about is mm-hmm. uh, indicated and ground speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but there are more. Mr. Griffin, right. how would you explain that? What's the difference between the speedometer in my SUV versus an airplane? I have to be honest, I don't know exactly where you're going with this, but what I know is that in you know, in a car it's a mechanical relationship that the gearing in your transmission is a certain gear ratio to your tire, which is a hundred percent unless you're doing a burnout or there's some slippage or you're running the wrong size tire, rim, all those things. As long as that mechanical relationship is preserved, that's always going to be basically, I know we're talking about mechanical relationships, but it's basically a one-to-one relationship. That you A mile is a mile is a mile. There isn't anything that's really going to change that. But as we talk about you know, the different airspeeds, you're talking about indicated airspeed. Indicated, I don't know if you mean to be talking about indicated airspeed for this conversation, this part of the conversation, but... Yeah, like uh, indicated airspeed... You know, you hop in a plane, you don't know any better. Uh-huh. You're going to look at that airspeed indicator. It's going to be going, says you're going 100 knots, which knots already is weird because it's knots. Yeah, okay. And not yeah. miles per hour or whatever yeah. they use over. A knot is a nautical mile per hour for everybody. Correct. But in the airplane, you may not be going even 100 knots, even though it's a goofy thing like knots. You well, may not yeah, even be going that ma- speed. Yeah, but you're now you're so yeah, you didn't give Scott and I enough information. Scott was closer to accurate than I just was because I didn't know where you were going. Your fact you're 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 overlaying ground speed over top of. As far as the airplane's concerned, you are going hundred knots, or it wouldn't say it. Okay. So we got ground speed and we got indicated. Why mm-hmm. is there true or calibrated? I don't understand. Well, yeah, I mean, we can go, yeah, well, I, I, I'm a freaking idiot the way I just answered. I'm trying to come up with the reason why indicated airspeed and miles per hour or the speedometer in your car are different. And they are a little bit, but because there is the mechanical relationship like I was talking about, which you don't have in a plane. But as far as if that indicated airspeed, that is just telling you what the airfoil feels. There are errors or, um, yeah, errors, I guess I can call them, and factors that affect um, the other, you know, the calibrated, the equivalent, the true airspeed, and I guess that's where we're going now, that make it different. So you were saying the airspeed indicator says you're doing 100, but your pick one, pick a, pick one of the other airspeeds to talk to say. Okay, so we're doing 100 knots indicated. Indicated, yep. In our whatever, airplane. Not a 150, because it'll barely do that. Hey, now, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's not going to do so, that. So we're getting uh is that our true airspeed? No. Well, it depends. What's our altitude? As you so when you start at sea level, 15 degrees Celsius, 
or 59 degrees Fahrenheit to 992 inches of mercury, those numbers will be the same. As you deviate from those parameters, your the, the, the difference between the two gets greater and greater and greater. So typically as you climb an altitude, which everybody here probably knows I'm a huge proponent of go higher, for the most part, there's a lot of reasons that are in there, but bad idea. I, well, bad idea. you gain two percent more true airspeed um, per one thousand feet, typically. That's so you true. know, if you have a non-standard, like if it's a bumpy day, which is a reason to climb higher because it's probably warm out. You're getting all these thermals and things, you know, really, you know, tossing the airplane around. You have a reason to go higher because that means you have a non-standard adiabatic lapse rate, which means you have you're losing more temperature per 1,000 feet, which means you, um, what do I want to say? I don't want to start talking about ISA and stuff like that. You, it probably makes better sense. You'll probably, you'll go even, you'll gain more true airspeed per 1,000 feet on days like that. And you have every other reason to go high anyways, because you're getting out of bumps. It's cooler air. Uh, you know, if you have air conditioning, it's pressurized, all that good stuff, you don't care. But in a 172 and you've been doing pattern work for weeks on end and you've been sweating out, um, go higher, you know, you can get up to, you know, 8,000 feet and it's 65 degrees. So all those things, and now you get true airspeed benefit on top of it. Okay. At like, let's say 10,000 feet. So think about this really quick math. Um, at Now, granted, as you climb, indicated airspeed goes down too because the density of the air goes down. So they, they diverge. So think about this. At 10,000 feet, if you're ever going to take your light GA-172 or Cherokee there, there's a 20% difference between indicated airspeed and true airspeed. That's a lot. Because 2% per 1,000 feet. That's a huge difference. Now, some of that, of course, is because the indicated airspeed and how much of that is because indicated is going down. That's a great question. I don't know. I'm sure get out your E6B and maybe there's something for that. Um, I don't know that. But I do know that true airspeed, and that's kind of all I really care about, is that true airspeed increases 2% every 1,000 feet on a, like a standard day. So you're telling me I'm in my 150 rocket ship. Yep. And I take it up to 8,000 feet, which can be done incredibly quickly in a 150. Uh-huh. And it's showing. Yeah. I've never <laughs> even been that high. And my airspeed indicator, my super never. accurate airspeed indicator from the 1970s. Do I need my calculator for is, this? Is showing 100 knots. Are you trying to claim that I'm going even faster? Yes, hundred percent. This is blowing. This is blowing my mind here. How, and this is how, where, how is that even ahead. possible? Well, it's all air density is 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 the main thing. So you have temperatures that affect density. We all think about density, altitude, you know, considerations for takeoff performance. Um, the, all those same factors that are detrimental to performance there. Yeah, they're still detrimental to a certain sense of performance, climb performance at altitude. We all know what that feels like. If you start out being able to climb a, th- climb a thousand feet a minute at sea level, at 10,000 feet, you're not climbing a thousand feet a minute. So the wing feels less uh, lift, you know, the engine makes less power, the prop makes less thrust. All those considerations and why you're not going to climb as good. But if you're staying in steady state and you're you're using your performance chart, so you're at your 75% um, power setting and all, all that stuff, you're all trimmed out real good, um, you will, and so all the controls are in line, I guess what I'm saying. You don't want anything deflected and you don't want to be burning gas out of one side and then you got a bunch of aileron in the other side to counteract that, that, uh, that extra weight. You don't just... 
do everything right, I guess. Um, yeah, you're going to, the density of the air is thinner because of temperature, pressure, all those things. And you are going to yield a faster speed on a no wind day, on a no wind day. So that's what true airspeed is. That's our speed across the ground on a no wind day, basically, um, is going to be, in this case, seems like simple math, 120 knots. If we have indicated airspeed, it'll be about 20 on a standard day, no wind day as well, should be doing truing out about 120 knots. Okay. I, I glazed over a little bit there and was looking at the chat. Henrique saying indicated airspeed, he called it IAS. I had to, yeah. I had to ask Jeeves what IAS meant, indicated airspeed. And he's talking. He's <laughs> probably no, I, I didn't really. That. I didn't <laughs> really have to about ask anything. Jeeves, Scott. Jesus. Um, he's talking about molecules, though, and I feel like <laughs> well. you didn't mention molecules. I feel like there's more to this. Henrique brought up that you did not mention because he's talking. He's getting to the molecular level of your pitot tube with this. De- yeah, I mean, yeah, the density of the airflow going into. So you have pressure and temperature, which are kind of a the biggest factor well humidity of course but that's i don't even know the equation on that those two concepts formulate a density and that density that's that's really what a pedo tube is it's like a density unit if you take like let's say it like this you have a pedo tube off an airplane in an airspeed uh system pedo stack system off an airplane hooked to an airspeed indicator you're chugging along in an airplane in the air and it's indicating you know 50 knots let's say you're coming into land or something you go take that same pedo tube rigged exactly the same way go put it in water and have the same ground speed it's going to be like 350 knots because of the density that is it is now going to be in versus what it was in if that makes any sense. The density is really what the pitot tube's reading, which is why your indicated airspeed will go down as you climb. So you have true airspeed going up, indicated airspeed going down, which is kind of the, the concept between having that huge difference uh, in indicated versus true airspeed across the ground. Okay. Makes sense? Yeah. I don't really pay attention to what I'm saying. I black out too when I talk, so. So... Basically, the pitot tube, which is that little stick that's off of your wing usually in like a general aviation aircraft, that's basically a pressure sensor. It's sensing how much pressure is going in that pitot tube. Yeah, ram air pressure, yeah. Yep. So when you yeah. go higher, the air is less dense, so it's getting less pressure in that pitot tube even though you're going fast still. So it's indicating less than it's actually going. W- what? It, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess basically, yes, it's going to be lower than your true airspeed, your actual speed um, through the air or across the ground on a no wind day. But from a performance perspective, the airplane will exhibit characteristics of the speed that is indicated. Does that make any sense? Yes. For for like stall speeds and stuff. Stall speeds, performance speeds, yes. Okay. You get into you well, you know, also you get into a little bit of a gray area too once you start talking about a um going super high in indicated airspeed. It's it's there's engineering stuff. It, um, I yeah, edit that out. That's fun to talk. It's about. live. It's live. Well, I know. You, well, yeah, but we'll edit out what it's I just lively. said though for the actual. Oh, well, I guess I can but keep talking about it. Yeah. So one thing that happens. They're they're certified under certain temperature up to a certain altitude. And like ISA deviation, the international standard atmosphere. And I can't, I want to say ISA maybe plus 
It's a bunch, maybe 30, ISA plus 30 or something like that. So very warm day. And they need they need to know that you like look, you can look at your indicated airspeed because that's what we live by and die by in a in a in an airplane. Only you can only you only know unless you have a bunch of uh, you know GPS and and everything I guess does now. But if you're on old steam gauges, you got to do math to go figure out what your true airspeed is while you're out there flying around. So unless you do that, you don't know. So all you can go by is the indicated airspeed. But they need to make sure that under a wide range of conditions, that if you follow that indicated airspeed, you're not going to be uh, doing a true airspeed that is potentially harmful. Because that is really where the limitations are, is true airspeed. Because that's one of the closer... Um, that's going to be one of the issues with um, Buffett. Um, so there's some really, really violent, like you can go these RV guys and the um, uh, glass air and all these super high performance composites. You can get this super destructive Buffett at like towards your never exceed speed. That's a lot of what the limiting factor is typically on the tail because it's a thinner, typically a thinner material. You like I know on the RVs, it's one of the biggest things you can up the dent, the gauge of the tail surfaces and increase your never exceed speed. But if you're going to go wildly beyond, like let's say you you put a turbocharger on it, and now you can take that thing up to 25,000 feet, well, yeah, your indicated airspeed is going to be nice and low. But your true airspeed capability is going to be, or the, maybe your indicated is what it was, well safe. It looks well safe on, on the airspeed indicator. But your true airspeed's through the freaking roof because you, you're now at 25,000 feet instead of 5,000 feet. So, But the ultimate limitations of the airframe are more in a true airspeed sense from an engineer's perspective. That's where you encounter flutter. Um, obviously, in an RV, you're probably not gonna. But like in high high altitude, high airspeed stuff, um, that's where we think about like um, boundary layer separation. All the all the um, transonic airflow limitations is is going to be more well, obviously mock, but you know, true airspeed limitations. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, but. I don't know how we started down that road, but yeah. Um, so let's calibrate it then, because we talked about true versus indicated a lot. Calibrated then, is indicated airspeed for, and and this is this is this is really really important. But you know, go by it's only a couple knots off, and that you'll find in your chart there's a calibration table how far off you are, and I haven't seen anything be more than a couple, three knots off, but it is the indicated airspeed um, adjusted for installation error because there's no perfect spot to mount a pitot tube. Um, you know, they're trying to make it work with their design and what is going to be the most accurate. There's nothing that's perfect. So, yeah, there, there should be a calibration table in there, and I know, like, the one that I, that, I, that I know for sure is, like, the Warrior. It's, like, two or three knots off, and, and very linear. There's no, like, real, like, peaks, like, oh, in this airspeed range, it's way off. No, there's nothing like that. I think it maybe diverges a little bit more towards the top end, but um, it's, not, it's not much. So, yeah, it is your indicated airspeed adjusted for installation error. Nothing we can see from the, from the instruments, though. Okay, that'd be more digging into the pilot's handbook. Yeah, the, yeah. There's no, I know in the Warrior for sure, the Cherokees. You know, there's just like one one page. It's a big page. It takes the whole page and designated for that at the beginning. I think of the performance section, chapter five, or section five, whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. I just got a chart to tell you at your at your airspeed. So if you think about all like your the ones that we reference a lot, stall speeds and your best rate of climb, best angle climb speeds negligible at least in the Cherokees 
I've never looked into it on anything else. We're really. getting some talk in the chat about during a slip, if your indicated airspeed would be altered. I would assume so. It's, I, it, I think it depends on the plane, too. Well, yeah, of course. But, I mean, I, I would imagine they're all affected to a certain... You got to think, it's going to be... It's affected just by the where it's... Point, even if you're pointing it right into the relative wind all the time, um, it's still a little bit off due to installation error. So if you go vastly change slip and, and things like that, <clears throat> it's... I feel pretty confident I could say it's definitely going to be affected, but probably to varying degrees on different airplanes. Yes. Enrique is saying, I learned that TAS is your speed in relationship to the air mass you're flying in, considering air density and temp. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. Okay. Yep. The air mass, you know, obviously, when I think of air mass, I think of like moving weather. So it's kind of as like, like you're all a big blob moving, like you're inside a cloud and you're all moving together and who's faster than who. But yeah, I mean, you can think about it even if you were to take that vertically with a column as you, to because it's more fun to me to illustrate the point that, oh, just one more thousand feet, I just gained two 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 percent more speed. You know, so I tend to think of it more in a vertical sense um, than like steady state at cruise. I don't know why, but yeah, that's a totally valid point. I've never paid attention to anything other than my indicated airspeed. I really haven't either. That's most like people, never... and that's what's aggravating. You've seen yeah. me, you know, on pilot ground, like, oh, you know, what's this? And it sounds like I'm needling, and I don't mean to be. But, like, so many times you talk to, oh, my airplane does this. Well, they're just saying not KTS. Well, I don't know what that means. Is that ground speed? Is that true airspeed? Indicated airspeed? Everybody wants to read the big number off their Garmin. Ah, 161 knots. Like, okay, well, how much tailwind did you have? I don't know. I need to know what your true airspeed was. Then we know what the airplane can do. If it's if you have a great day and it can do 170, 161, they can all do that. Yeah, the Lyrae fly can do 600 too, but that's because we have a 150 knot tailwind. That's impressive. I think, mm, I don't even remember what my max is. Um, Fast though. So Tyler brings up a good point. <laughs> Super, f- so Super fast. fast. Fast, though. When are you concerned with so calibrated airspeed? Like, when, never. like, Scott, Scott and I said we never dealt with any of this. So, yeah. No. Is, is that just the answer? You just, it's just to nerd on about and theorize about it. It's not really relevant to, to daily flying. No, I would say yeah. no, your airplane, because you, if you're flying something whacked out or something, you know, I have very, in GA, I have pretty, I mean, I, well, I don't want to say limited, you guys know, but it's just like, it's never been a factor. I've flown GA a lot. Never been a factor. I knew in the, I knew to talk about it with students. Um, it's hard to miss, really, when you're just when you're flipping through the AFM or the POH, depending on what you got. It's hard to miss. It's the first page in chapter five, I want to say. Um, but other than that, pay attention to it. Hey, this is this is we're we're talking about calibrated airspeed. This is really, it's it's too bad that that is not somehow able to be represented on the airspeed indicator, but. Practically speaking, when you're talking, if in a given airplane, probably know where your errors are. You know, are they close in all your operating range and diverge a lot at the top? Or are there cutouts that are weird? Um, you should probably know that for sure. Um, but if somebody were to say, hey, you know, go fly, go fly this Warrior or this Cherokee, whatever, at VX, how good am I going to be able to do that? What's the needle width on the airspeed indicator? I probably I can't hold it within that, especially on a bumpy day. So like, what's what's five knots in the calibrated? What does that practically matter to me? 
I can't fl- I can't fly that close anyways. That's my opinion on it. Hmm. What? No, I'm just I'm just I'm gonna go ahead and tell the uh, tell the audience to not worry about anything other than they're indicated. Probably pretty safe. So Leah said Leah said a lot of things here in the last thirty minutes, and I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and tell them that uh, they don't they don't need to know any of it. It's probably okay. true. <laughs> probably true. Enrique, in the real world, you probably are never going to read know your CAS or your right. EAS, just your IAS right. and TAS. Yep. That's what I said. I That's agree. what I said. Yeah. This is... What have we covered so far? I feel like this is dead air. I'm going to have to edit out a long spaces in the edit. There's a lot of dead air. A lot of dead oh air. Oh, my gosh. A lot of dead air. It's broadcasting 101. Tyler said he'd like to hear how... Tyler said he'd like to hear how stall speeds are found even into transport category and how that math works with VSO. I didn't hear that. Oh, that's, that sounds like that. a really good entertaining question, Tyler. Yeah, reread it. I didn't hear I'd any like, of it. I'd yeah. like to hear how stall speeds are found <laughs> even into transport category and how that math works with VSO multipliers. I don't even know what that question means, let alone I don't know what he means by VSO multipliers. I may have yeah. a somewhat educated idea. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't know what VSO multipliers means. Mitch here says, after listening to y'all for a while, I finally get to see your faces. I always hear Scott goes to bed at like nine, but you're like 25. I was expecting someone in his 40s. Yeah, he acts <laughs> like he's in his 40s. We're all in yeah. our 30s, but yeah, Scott acts like he's... I'm not 25. Eight. I will take that as a compliment. Um, I am 33. So I'm pretty okay old. on performance aircraft, especially with the glass cockpit. There's a point where the aircraft automatically changed from indicated airspeed to true airspeed, and then to mock. Henrique says, "Is that what the uh, Garmin's I've are never doing?" Seen, I've never seen anything go to true airspeed, um, because that. Why would it tell you true? I wouldn't. I would want to know from a performance perspective. I mean, I guess same thing could be said with mock. Because so it's going to still give you your Buffett boundaries, your low. So it, it's so here's the difference though, that's functioning at angle of attack. So you have an angle of attack indicator in transport category airplanes. So that will give you your low speed Buffett boundary. Okay, like we're all familiar with Buffett in uh, you know in a um uh, oh, a, a no. trainer first first indication of a stall. Oh no, and that's one thing oh, too. Segway here, bring me back to what we were just talking about with. What? Oh, there you, went, you went there out for a minute is. there, Lee. That you froze. That really you sucks. froze. Yeah, you. Had a, I felt like you had a really good point. He probably didn't say anything intelligent Son anyway. Bitch. No, it was probably just like it was probably just like nerdy aviation stuff right. that nobody needs to know anyway. I'm gonna try and just. Well, it's probably gonna be like a retake, so it's probably actually better than the last one. The difference with transport category airplanes, you have a uh, angle of attack indicator, which a lot of GA stuff's getting now. You guys got me? Yes. Okay. Cool. So that's going to give your low-speed Buffett boundary, and we're all familiar with the low-speed Buffett boundaries in your GA trainers. Um, and where I, I was going to start segueing, and that's right when I came back last time. So that's one thing. For training purposes, you recover from a stall at the first indication of a stall. And that's one thing that I would probably – I would advise you to, when you feel any form of Buffett that you think is a stall, carry out your recovery. 
It, I understand you're getting checked on it, and maybe they want you to go a little deeper into it, and that's fine. But in the real world, I would like to see you recover from your first indication of wind shear, your first indication of a stall, because that that timing, that everything we do is the magnitude of the recovery or the corrective action and time. Multiply them together, that equals a safety margin. So if you if you perceive a buffet, and, and what we're feeling is typically the tail shaking, that kind of that airflow separation, buffeting off the wings, there's flaps, whatever you got going on, that is going to be the tail shaking typically. That's what that buffet you feel in the yoke is. When you feel that buffet, carry out your stall. If, if Maybe you were close, maybe it was something else. I don't know what the outside factor or the outside forces that were happening, but I would say your margin of safety is going to be greatly increased if you if that is kind of your tactic for um, stall recovery. Same with the wind shear. When you get your on final, you're locked in, stabilized like I harp on, um, uh, correcting early on is your margin because all we're trying to do, wind shear is not really a performance. The wind shear is negative versus the airplane's positive capability of performance. It, that's not the game you're playing because no matter what you're flying, even a Lear, that wind shear, that microburst can well exceed our climb capability. If it's a downdraft of 6,000 feet a minute, maybe the Lear light, empty, on a great day can maybe uh, do that at, at near sea level. But so in a GA, you don't have a hope in hell. So what it's mostly about is traversing the the um, the two real sides as you kind of go, if you go, just keep going straight. You'll have your performance increasing side of the wind shear and then the decreasing performance. So when you see you're locked on doing a stabilized, and this is part of why it's important to do a stabilized approach. So you can see these variables that might save your life one day. You see these variables, you're on trim, configured to land, on airspeed, uh, everything's good. You're coming in, oh, I picked up 15 knots. Well, why did I do that? The, the, the typical reaction is, if you don't have a very clear and present reason as to why that happened, suspect a wind shear. Wind shear always has two sides. So what you don't want to do, what the natural reaction is to do, is to pull power back to get your airspeed back in check. Well, What's your normal what's your normal um, uh, air, uh, power setting to make this glide path work out at this airspeed? And those should all be very well-known milestone numbers for you, committed somewhat to memory. If you have to deviate wildly from that, suspect wind shear. And so what the gut reaction is, pull the power back, get your airspeed back and check. Well, what's going to happen right after this? As you traverse this column of air, this downdraft, wind shear, microburst, whatever, there's going to be the other half of it where it's decreasing performance. And so now what you've done is, yeah, you were 15 knots uh, fast, so you reduce power to get back, and now you're on the back side of it. You're going to find yourself in a power deficit on the back side of the power curve. Airspeed dropped by 15 knots, um, and maybe, maybe you're not able to climb out of it or, or whatever. So the first reaction when you see that, keep your airspeed uh, at the minimum, or just execute a go-around then. D uh, microbursts, uh, wind shear type, like steady-state wind shear events, don't, they don't hang on that long. Typically, they're five minutes, I think, five to 15 minutes. So by the time you're coming back around, if, if especially if you carry that same philosophy the next time around, you're going to be more prepared for it, and you'll execute the go-around even sooner. That I think kind of the, the statistics say that. And then, um, um, or you may have just outlasted it. So it's it's a timing thing. You want to recognize it early, adjust early, and what you, it's a waiting game as you traverse the 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 microburst or the the wind shear event, um, the localized nature of that that phenomenon. 
you're not going to performance your way out of it, no matter what you have, no matter what you have. So it's all about timing. So adjust early and that adjusting early, giving you that margin of safety, hopefully that altitude to play with, because you're going to descend. If you have 3000 foot air coming down, you can only climb a thousand feet a minute, do that, but you're going to, you're going to lose altitude. All you need, all you're trying to do is wait the 15 seconds or whatever it takes, 20 seconds to traverse this, 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 uh, event. And that, that's all we can really hope to do. That's all we can hope to do. Um, and then don't configure. There's all the normal wind shear stuff. Max power, make sure your spoilers are attracted if you have them. Don't change configuration. And this is something Scott and I talked about a lot in previous episodes. If you're coming in on a windy day, gusty day, whatever, and you have minimal flap settings, zero, flaps eight, flaps 10, whatever your kind of your like approach or whatever, take, uh, whatever settings you use, do that on these types of landings. And I was just talking about this with, with another guy the other day, actually, um, because then you're prepared, then you don't have to reconfigure and you're going to have maximum performance available. So if you suspect wind shear landing with a full flap setting, like in a 150, obviously that would be bad. If the FAA's guidance is to not configure or not, not reconfigure on a wind shear event, that would be terrible. Like you're not, you're smacking the ground at some point. I don't know when, but you're hitting it. So keep that in mind on those days, you know, all the same reasons for controllability and, and getting it stuck to the runway when you get there. Um, minimal flap setting would be good, but also in the event of a go around for a wind shear event, um, having minimal flaps is definitely going to help you there too. You know, fla- you know, flaps eight, flaps 10, whatever your approach or your um, takeoff setting is, is probably fine. Um, or your lowest takeoff setting, I should say, is probably good. We can talk more about that later. But um, go ahead. It's hard for me to keep up to the ch- with the chat here because Lee. You can jump in talking. anytime. Sorry, I, I had what's a up, question. Barbara? Bar- Bar- Barbara said, "What's up, Scott?" She she said, uh, "Let the test pilots deal with That's it." It's a good. It's a good statement. I had a question. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Before it's a fleeting thought. How do you balance the stabilized approach concept that I know Lee Griffin is a huge fan of with riding out a microburst? When you're getting that increase of performance... You have to go around. You have to go around. Okay. No. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) Right. Andres Andres knows what I'm talking about. Go around. Execute the go around early. Same thing with the stall, which was the point where I diverged from. So, I mean, we can... Whatever. If there's more in the chat, go ahead. First thing you want to do is get that thing. Get yeah, that you're probably going to do that your with safest, your method. Safest move. Yeah, doesn't really matter how. Just get on the ground. Um. Okay. Stall margin. So in a transport category, you got the air uh, angle of attack for your low speed buffet, and then your Mach number. You know your maximum MMO, maximum uh, Mach or maximum operating Mach number. I think I guess or something like that. Uh, you have MMO. Velocity for maximum operation and Mach number for maximum operation. Um, so yeah, MMO is going to be your limiting. So that's where you're going to start getting um, transonic airflow. And then obviously all the aerodynamic um, concepts va- really start diverging. Um, they can only bake in so much um, protection for you know for a given design. So if you're going if you want desirable you know low speed get into this you know airport close to downtown, you're not going to be able to have the most the fastest or the fastest possible wing, you know, for ma- for mock operations um, for the most part. So, well, obviously cost is in there too. You know, like you look at a Citation 10, it can do pretty much everything you'd ever want. Stuart, I would say at least one milk oh, jug. Scott, 
Scott, per you got you can never reference um, it without reading it because then I go to edit it and it's just I have to edit. I it didn't out. even know what you're talking about, uh, Scott. Yeah, God. yeah. Keep me in the loop, man. It, well, it's a, no, it's a great, it's a great question from uh, Stuart. But St- yeah. Stuart, Stuart Butts says, "How many milk jugs would Scott recommend I take with me when flying a 172 or 182 from Kauai?" Kauai. Oh, I know I the know. second one's Oahu. Why? To Oahu. Yeah. Not sure I took enough with me on Saturday. 69 miles from PL, PHLI to PHDH, the, the the closest two airfields. Yeah, I mean, I would say just you're probably good with one milk jug <laughs> per person. Pacific um, Ocean isn't that but, bad, is it? Like I, I think we said before, no, I mean, you might... Okay, so... I would probably say like if if you got three people, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. That safety milk jug, that reserve. What if one one has a hole in it? You didn't know. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. If it's just you, I mean, one or two, I'd probably just take two just in case one could pop. You know, if you got four people, I'd probably throw. I I think we need to go with this. We should get one more milk jug than you have passengers. You got to have some redundancy. Yeah. One more milk jug than you have passengers. I think yeah. that's a safe rule of thumb. Yeah. All right. Um, Andre says, uh, would milk jugs filled with helium help against <laughs> microbursts? No, 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 no. We all idea. know hydrogen would be better. I think. Mm-hmm. We all know hydrogen would be even better. Well, yeah, yeah. We've talked about that's this true. before. Hydrogen. Yes. Okay. Whatever. Did we touch on equivalent airspeed yet? So I want to wrap this up, do the outro, so we can get into the chat. I agree with you. I agree. Okay. With you. Um, no, we did an equivalent. Equivalent is basically um, factoring in calibrated airspeed, and then they're just factoring in compressibility error. So that's some of the concept with. Um, yeah, as you get fa- as you get going faster, um, I believe the first airplane that was actually forecast to have compressibility issues, which start happening at about 180 knots, if I remember correctly, indicated airspeed. Um, the compressibility, the ram air compressibility of the airflow into the pitot tube, which of course is going to, you start stacking molecules. It's not, you're bridging like free stream air and you're actually starting to get into, I mean, I guess I want, I'm probably wrong when I say this, but into a little bit of the more um, transonic type some of the some of the same elements that happen with transonic airflow are starting to take place even at that low of an indicated airspeed 180 knots so um i think the first airplane that was forecast to have these issues was the p38 lightning i want to say i'm pretty sure that's correct um so they're 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 just built they're just building in um um the compressibility compressible airflow errors basically density temperature considerations and just how much performance the airplane has so I think at around 180 indicated 180 knots indicated airspeed, I think is when that is starting to be forecast to, to have some issues. I think I could be full of shit. I'm not sure. I okay. could look it up. I guess I should have known that. But it's been so long. It's been so long. I don't know. Compressibility error. I'm gonna go with that. Yes. No, somebody sense. in the chat. I'm sure somebody in the chat knows. Call me out on what I don't know. Oh, we love it. Scott and I enjoy it. So do I. So do I. Hey, how do I get better? How do I get better? I need to be spoon-fed. Come on. (laughs) Andre says, sorry to ask, what's transonic? 
like plane that doesn't identify with a specific oh, category. This is a rabbit hole. I'm gonna have to edit if we go down too deep. Oh, we gotta stop. Stop. We <laughs> still cut it off right here. Just cut it off right here. Well, I thought that was a great question. That might be like the, that might be the one of the best question. questions we've got. What I'm fascinated by is we have Stuart in here. I saw the comment, F-16, we could select CAS or TAS. We always saw mock, never see that now in the 182, LOL. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then Mitch jumps in, in the Apache helicopter, we use all four of the types of airspeeds in the aircraft. It's annoying being in an aircraft where you have to know all four definitions and types. So I feel like, yeah, I feel like there's some guest potential in our chat right now of people who've got a lot more experience than we Oh, we do. got a, yeah, we got a real stuff. deep bench. We got a real <laughs> deep bench, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I just, yeah. yeah. People that probably we, know a lot more than We than, can't uh, really comment on do. the military <laughs> stuff like that, but uh, thank you for your service. And, yes, uh, <laughs> thank you for your service, for sure. <laughs> um, good, the interest, interesting problems to have. I'll leave it at that. IAS is how much we can afford, and true airspeed is how awesome we are, Casey. All right. Yeah, seriously. So when you go into a chat, just make sure you're always referencing. Don't just say just say you're not KTS at the end, but say the big number of the true airspeed. Don't talk about indicator speed. Nobody cares. Lee's gonna have to we have to delete the profile picture rule because nobody follows that on Pilot Ground and just replace it with a a rule about posting your airspeed. It's got to be in a certain format per Lee Griffin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's make some more bylaws. Okay. Uh, I'm just, I'm going through my phone right now. We're going to wrap this up here. Um, I'll let Scott start to wrap this up. Scott, did you get my text messages yet? Oh, boy. I'm going to look at the chat. Um, I will check. I had my phone oh, on that's silent. <laughs> no, I did not. Did you? When oh. did you? What message? Were they text messages or were they hold wire on. messages? Oh, hold on. No. Bear oh with God. me. I'm trying to get. We're trying to catch up on. Um, I don't have it. I don't have any. Trying to catch up on some of the Q, the uh, five star written reviews because everyone loves when Scott reads those. Yeah, you really and dropped the Scott ball. doesn't really... uh, come on the program that much anymore. So just take your time. It gives here. me more chance to get buzzed, <laughs> and that'll be more fun in the post episode chat. I'm on the program almost every time, <laughs> except when you guys purposely schedule one when I can't be on. Okay. Um... Let me see here. Select more photos. Dude. Dude. Wow. We, we Who may didn't do, come prepared? We may. Uh, I always forget that this right. these are things. Between week episode, Transonic. We got a request. <laughs> we're just going to do three reviews this time. Three for yeah. one. We need to do it. We need to do an episode on Transonic. Some of them. Some of these what may be means. done twice. I just want to make sure we don't. We. Wait, I have to read all of these? There's no way Is I can there read one all that these. you know you read before? There may be. I don't know. You can wow. just rapid fire. We're gonna we're gonna wrap the episode up here and then we'll go into live chat on the live stream and then I'll probably use whatever we talk about in the in the Q and A live thing for an in between episode at some point. Yeah. And the difference is like when the record button is hit, like it's just not the same. It's like when if there's something, you know. Yeah. We're all talent. We're all talentless when we're trying to record an episode, and then we get kind of half talent when we're not pressured to actually create something. That's usually some of the best stuff comes out. And four beers deep, yeah. that helps too. 
helps doing, loosen me up anyways. I'm doing the El Dorado 12-year, my new favorite I'm excited rum. to try I'm not yeah. a huge rum guy, but I mean, I'm this excited to try it if it's so great. awesome. It's great. Uh, what, do you, what do you mix it with? Which Why a not lot Coke? Of, which a lot of rum drinkers would... Uh, or, or Coke, that's fine. Or oh, uh, no. co- Pepsi. Walmart Pepsi. brand cola, whatever. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the a lot of the rum connoisseurs would probably be mad that I even mix this with anything, but I just don't like drinking anything without splash of something. Yeah, rum straight is not yeah good. Yeah. All right, Scott. Okay, got a five star written review here from B Martin, I A H from the United States. Okay. Why Far Aim is a great podcast. Started listening to your shows a few months ago as a newly minted student pilot who assumed I would find very serious conversations about the regs. Was I wrong or what? (laughs) But I kept listening because I never knew what Scott would say next that would irritate Lee. (laughs) Like right now. Like right now. (laughs) (laughs) during one episode i discovered the foundation which makes you so successful you stole the format from gilligan's island i don't remember this just keep reading it i must have been drunk for that one because i i did i didn't read this i didn't read this you stole the format from Gilligan's Island. Robert is the skipper. Scott is Gilligan, and Lee is the professor. Perfect combination. And you added alcohol. Keep up the good work, Fireman. Thank Houston. you, Fireman yeah, Houston. Thank you, B Martin. Right? Oh, right, B Martin. Thank you. What? Yep. Uh, yeah. What's the next one? Yeah, what? B Martin. Read the two more. Fireman I want to get these. I don't out remember of my that inbox. one, Rob. I, I don't get... remember that one at all. Okay. Okay. Maybe we didn't read it, though. <sighs> We're gonna knock out three. We got a bunch. We're gonna, we got a backlog of reviews. And I can't remember which one, whether we did this one or not. Uh, so I just want to knock them all out. Maybe we're doing these twice. We apologize if we do. Then when I edit this, I'm going to remove them from my inbox, and we'll go forward from there. Mm-hmm. Five stars from Fly Navy Twelve from the United States. Keep it up. Hey guys, love the podcast. After flying for the Navy the last several years, years I have started to get back into GA. And even putting my CFI certificate. I've never done that. Put my CFI certificate. Yeah, we need to work on that too. Uh, No. The podcast is a great way to learn and get in the GA mindset. You always bring up some great points, and it's awesome that the three of you all have different backgrounds, experience levels, and perspectives. I find myself agreeing with a different one of you depending on the stop the topic, including Scott. He makes some really great points occasionally. I, I need those enumerated points. though, Almost please. I would like to see all the great points Scott has made over the years. I've made almost probably all of okay, the points. Okay, well, we'll are, see. Are great. All right, continue. So, yeah. It's also a lot of fun to crack some beers along with you guys. I, I, along with you, keep up the great work. You guys are crushing it. Yeah, thanks, Fly Navy. Appreciate it. Thanks for your service. Cheers. All right. One more? 
You got one, one more? more? You got one more, Scott? Uh, one one more here from Papa Speggs from the United States. Piper versus Cessna Battle Royale. Five stars. If Cessna is Ford and Piper is Chevy, then who makes the dots of aviation? Robert, Lee, and Scott are the top tier when it comes to aviation, education, and entertainment. You will find no better source of knowledge, laughs, and frustration for learning all or nothing when it comes to the far aim. Come for the lessons, stay for the drinks. Nice. That's right. All right. I feel like we've read all three of those, but I've got mixed results when I post I only remember the last one because I remember you sending it to us. The last one's the only one I remember. Okay. That's not saying much. Jeff, you're kind of late. Oh, is Jeff in? Yep. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I'm going to say goodbye, (laughs) and we're going to be able to get a cut point here, and then we'll go into Q&A. If you're not listening to the live stream, we are live streaming this on YouTube. We don't always live stream on YouTube, so head on over to robertberger.com. B-E-R-G-E-R is the German way, not the sandwich way. Robertberger.com. Click on the little live button link thing. Uh, give your name and email, and then you can too can join a live stream and know when we're going to do it. I send out emails that way on that list. We no longer do emails like one-on-one. doesn't really work. We created pilotground.com. Join the ground crew. We are trying to get 150 ground crew members this year so that we can make an in-studio recording studio thing up in Ohio, and we can be doing this in person, and we won't have Scott's delayed internet. And, um, yes. So my internet is... That's the goal uh, for 2022 is to get an in-studio or an in, uh, in-person studio for recording these up in Ohio set up. And then, uh, yeah. So we'll all be kind of in the same room and live stream mm-hmm. that way, record mm-hmm. that way. It'd be, be freaking awesome. sweet. We got 35 ground crew members as of this recording. So we're almost there. And um, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody up. who's uh, who's signed up for that. We do appreciate it. Um, head on over to pilotground.com uh, for all your Far Aim podcast host interactions. Uh, we don't really do email anymore because my inbox is got like 2,000. You can 000. DM us on there, though, too. So Yeah, it's got like 2,000 in my inbox right now, 2,000 unread emails. So, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, but, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, yeah. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. See you all later. I can cut it there, Great. and we'll go. Yeah, now we'll do whatever Let's we want here. Let's dive chat. back into this chat here. There's moving fast. Yeah.
Moving, coming in. Uh, oh, my God. We are laughing with you, not at you, Clinton said say? to you, Scott. As I think when you were reading a review, that came <laughs> God, in. God, Casey's like uh, ruthless in your... <laughs> can we use ground crew money to get Scott a reading tutor? <laughs> <laughs> I well, didn't I'm, see that one. My chat oh must my not god, be, that was good. That was my good. Chat must not Scott's be up dad was my homeroom teacher in high school. Yeah, both Scott's parents are um, retired educators. <laughs> I don't read out loud. I can read, but I don't read out loud. I I, like no, that. I get it. I get it. It's not easy for people. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Um. Yeah, I don't even know where to start. Oh God, how far back? Yeah, uh, Jeff had his eight hours of flying. Yeah, uh, today. Jeff, how many? Yeah, how many? Were you flying the islands today? How many landings did you do? Eight hours. It, yeah, I, I need to know. So that could be a lot of. My landings. record's seventy three. I think seventy three or seventy two. In one day. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done that. Mine might be like in the twenties. No, it's easy in the islands. The islands, but, you know, with it being so cold and so much ice out there and stuff like that. Yeah, they're probably humming right along. Ooh. Um. All right, we got a. Trying to Barbara's get back a to reading specialist. Yeah, might uh, might have to hit yep. her up. She's Take on pilot read. ground. We see her on pilot ground mm-hmm. all the time. Why? Yeah. Oh, here's a good question. It actually, goes reverts back to the episode. So, what if your plane shows in miles per hour? How does that affect TAS, CAS, etc.? You just you do all the conversions. Either matter, keep them yes, in miles so. per hour, or you'd convert to knots and then do the do the conversion in knots. Same yeah, principles apply. Yeah, if you look at the back of an E six B, if you have one, or if you, obviously it's probably even easier if you have the digital one. But if you look, you can do it in knots or miles an hour. It's the same. It'll it'll factor all that in. And do you have if you have a true airspeed indicator, which so basically all you do is just change your your. Um, so you'd have to. So if you want to find out your true airspeed, and you have a true airspeed indicator. Like let's, even if you don't, if you have an E6B, you have to have either a true airspeed indicator, which is an indicated airspeed indicator with another little window and a knob, and you can set your your pressure altitude and your temperature, and it will show you what your true airspeed is. Okay. If you don't have that, you'd need an E6B. So you need one of those two things. But you'll have to start by first turning your, if you're up at altitude, like let's say your cruise long, 6,500 feet, turn your Colesman window, so your, your, your sensitive altimeter, turn it to 2992, and that will show you what your pressure altitude is. And then you'll need that information to put onto your true airspeed indicator if you have one, uh, most pipers do, or into your E6B. And then, yeah, just use miles an hour or knots, whatever you have. And it'll all work out. Just follow the instruction in the back of the E6B. You know, it'll get you there. doesn't matter what it's graduated E6Bs in. E6Bs are great. It's awesome. It's fun. I mean, they're fun to play with. I mean, I haven't, like, really, really, really used one since, like, 2017. Don't. But I haven't. Yeah, I haven't used one since I was working on my Well, Eckel and I are going to hold an inebriated um, workshop on E6B usage at Precosh is our plan. Oh good! So, I'll be. I I need to buy a ticket yeah. to that well, workshop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How much are tickets? Uh, the, <laughs> your dad said it's free, right? 
No, to the E6B workshop. Yeah. Oh, that's but free. To the if, E6B if you're there. Oh, okay. Depends on yeah. what color wristband you have on. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's, yeah. um, we're charging yeah. what we think it's worth education wise, which is nothing. So. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. You, I see that one now. You get what you Piper's pay for. Piper's all about, and mile, is she talking about miles per hour? MPS, which she's. Oh, mile, probably miles per hour. Yeah, America. No, I agree with you. I like knots, though. Pretty much grew up with knots. Um, I've never flown. I, I can't remember if the Banner Cubs were miles per hour. They might have been a mile per hour. They probably were was, miles per hour. It was so weird, though. Like My one, I don't 50s, even count so. any of that as real flying. My 150s. Yeah. Okay. I Anything to, prior to 74. Old, but, yeah. Maybe 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 70. I want to say 74. Anything prior to 74, I think, should have been miles per hour. See, I flew Scott's airplane all the time back in the day. I would interchange, because I had a partner in my 150, which was a Knots. But a lot of times... Because what yours was it. yours? What year was yours? 76. Okay, so I'm probably pretty close to accurate then. Yeah, but I, I'm talking about I jumped back and forth, because a lot of times Angles would want to use the plane, and then Scott was not using his plane, so I'd grab his plane and fly it to work over in Kelly's. A lot of days, I, I flew that over. Half the time, there'd be like... Both planes would be over there, and the weather was crap, so I'd take the ferry back, and then Scott's like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm on the mainland, and I've got two 150s over on Kelly's on tie-downs. Everyone's like, where's all the planes at? <laughs> but anyway, I go back and forth. I never even, like, I never paid attention to that. Like, I was just doing it all by feel, so I didn't even remember yours was miles per hour. And you can do that in a G. I mean, the, new, the needle's about in the same place, and that's what's nice about color coding. Am I close yeah, to white? Yeah. Am I halfway in the green? That's why those color codings were there as quick reference. I, it's an airspeed indicating ep, or an airspeed episode, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's why the color coding is there. Um, and that's. I mean, that's why I hate. You know, I would get into airplanes, old ass airplanes, and it's all faded out. And it's like when you get into something new. Now, granted, you should have dual and understand what you're flying, but for quick reference, you want to be able to see have a good idea what your proximity to stall is and all those things. And it's just the color coding is super handy. So what is graduated in, who cares about what the number is, but if you want to just get in something and go and be, you know, somewhat, somewhat safe. Let's look at the color coding. It's like yeah. flying by numbers, guys. Come on. Or flying by colors. That's what I mean. Flying by colors. That's what I meant. Right. Makes it easier. It, well, I mean, it can be if you kind of boil it down to that. But if you have like an old airspeed indicator that's faded as shit, you can't read. Okay, it all looks white. Well, that's supposed to be green. Well, it's like, but it's not. So I can't tell. What else we have in here? Yeah. Um, can you ooh, Tyler says 76. Damn it, Tyler. I'm going to have to look it up now. Spencer says, can you please talk about your strategy when it comes to power off 180s? Energy management. That's all I have to say. That's that's it. I don't yeah. I don't know how else you can teach it. And you can fly. It's either energy management, having like that just inherent skill, in my opinion, um, which kind of comes with time. It can become. It can become a. It's a learned thing. Could be, and which I guess the other side of that is like I always talk about time in the seat, which ultimately leads to the same skill and understanding the energy of that airplane and stuff like that. Um, I did like I did my CFI like I mean I'm pretty good at that kind of stuff anyways but I did my CFI in a short wing like a Hershey bar arrow 
and there was really no judgment required. You chop the power, you have to turn. Like you are like, there's nothing to it. Um, I don't know what you're flying in, so I can't really give you give you too much. And no matter what you do, on a calm day, it's one day, and or it's one way. And if it's a windy day and you got wind down the runway, you're going to make that turn. It's another day. It's just time and seat. Um, or being super creative with your strategy as far as am I staying clean till like the last minute? Maybe I only have gear and I keep flaps up. Do something completely out of left field. I mean, that's like you and your instructor, but not knowing the airplane and God, I don't, I don't have much Rob. I mean, I would say just, it's not that cost effective, but play around with it. You yeah. know, do it when yeah. you don't need to do it over and over again, kind of just messing mm. around. Like, I, you know, I had the 150 back in the day. And I would just, a lot of times if I wasn't going anywhere, I didn't have anything to do, I would just screw around with that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's wasting hours and hours of of fuel and everything and, and cost of running the plane. But is it really a waste when I'm tinkering around with stuff like that? You probably need the hours anyways. So it's yeah, kind of like, it might not be the cheapest situation. airplane. It might, might not be the cheapest airplane to get the hours in. But it, I say... Of course, I'm spending your money, but train train so hard that the check ride is easy. Um, I guess if I mean if you can, which I understand, we're all we were all in the same ballpark going through that stage of training. I don't have any magic um, antidote for that. One thing I always had students do: I had my students do from private pilot, every single one of them do almost exclusively power off approaches. Because you have to get the energy management aspect of flying down. How many people do you, we all, and we all see them when we go out and fly. We all see people, they'll go get in their airplane, they're Mooney, they're Cirrus, whatever. And they're doing the stable, ultra stabilized approach like they're flying an ILS on a VMC day. And that is fine. I know I preach the, the stabilized approach. So I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. But when you go do a flight review with these people, and you give them a simulated engine failure in the pattern, they don't make the runway. They have no concept of energy management. They use that throttle um, to get them to the runway every time. And although I understand that has its place on an ILS, being stabilized for a short field, things like that, I get it. But you also need to understand um, the kind of the, the drag characteristics of your particular airplane. And so what I always push students to do that, you know, I have a former student that I fly with often. Um, he has a 150 as well. That's the 150 that I fly occasionally. Every first takeoff that we do, we do a max performance takeoff, like textbook as close as we can. Um, and just in case, because the airplane probably hasn't flown that much. So I think it's kind of like, it hasn't flown that much. So it's like, if it's going to fail, it's probably going to fail on this one is the mentality, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But it's just, it's just a nice metric. The first takeoff, we do maximum performance. So we treat it like it's a short, soft field. So we got flaps in, and we're going to clear that hypothetical 50 foot, shallow it out to VY, climb at VY to 400, 500 feet, and then we'll go to in route climb speed. We'll do all those things. Then on that landing, we treat it like it's a simulated engine failure, a beam like a power off 180. That's what we do on every, like, every first takeoff and landing of that like day. Uh, and I think if that, although that's not even perfect, 
um, that's better than the alternative of doing a, this engine isn't going to fail takeoff and doing a, this engine is going to fail landing ever. That's my perspective on it. You got to throw that, you got to throw that in there. That energy management, um, needs to be a focal point. I think energy management is everything in flying though. Yes. Like your good landings. It's all because of energy management. Yeah, it's everything. It's single engine taxiing in a jet. Energy management. Everything. Yeah. Rob, perfect. 100%. Boating. That's bringing a boat into dock is energy. Or if you're anything you're doing with a boat, anything that's boating, I call two dimensional when you're running a boat. And then aviation is just three dimensional, where car is. Unless you're really pushing the car, that's usually just like one-dimensional, I call. But it's... My brother-in-law is really in the racing. I understand that, yeah, there's... There's a multi-dimensions to that when you're really pushing the car. But for the most part, driving is one-dimensional. Boating is two-dimensional. And then the aviation's like three-dimensional. And with boating and aviation, it's always energy management. It's like when the... And here in Palm Beach, you know, 200, 300-foot boat coming in, it, it takes forever for that boat to dock because the captain is bringing that in very precisely, very slowly, very controlled. He's managing that yacht's energy because it weighs hundreds of tons. And one little slip-up and serious stuff happens. So it's just like a 30, 40-minute process from when the boat starts to approach the dock, sometimes to maneuver into the marina, and then go into the slip and everything to be good because it's just energy management. It's the same thing with airplanes. It's everything is, if you lose that engine, even when you have the engine running, it's a lot of energy management to make a, a, a grease that landing in. You got to feel, you just, yeah, you got to feel what's going on and, and manage that energy exactly the way it should be managed. And that that's how you get good landings. That's how you handle emergency procedures. It's it's everything. It's that's the technical term for just having a good feel for it. I f- I feel like pun intended. That's what you're having a feeling for is the energy. Yeah, I I have feelings for energy all yeah, the time. Yeah, I do too. Very warm, fuzzy feelings. Yes, and that's, it's almost Valentine's Day. It's, that's kind of oh, strange. No. Oh, better get my box of chocolates. No. Um, yeah, no. To, I I hate to uh, I hate to. Bail out so here, don't. But it's, so don't do it, Scott. Oh, Just don't do it. Just don't Jesus. do it. Ah, uh, I, I, you know, I cut things short to make see, it here on time, so now I have to get up even earlier see, tomorrow. So your beautiful internet, Scott, says nine percent uploaded. So that's that's where we're at. That. Um, so yeah, leave your browser up yeah. when you click the I do leave. every time, and then I'll I'll get the I'll get. I have a lot of work to do, Barbara. The, I, I have like I worked from like five o'clock till seven oh, no. today, and the only reason I quit the only reason I quit at seven is so I could make oh, this. We so that we means I have to get up even we earlier. Your that means I have to get up even. I know, but that means I have to get up even earlier to finish what I didn't finish yep. tonight. It's a conundrum. So, it's a conundrum. All right. Yeah. Please hit the leave button so we don't see your cat mooning us in 10 minutes. All right. Give your computer a chance to... Uh, okay, see you, Scott. 
good, Later. good chatting yeah, with see, everybody. Man. Yeah. All right. Oh, um, okay, so they're saying they found out 76. I was pretty close, though, guys, okay? Pretty close. Um, I said 74, and it may be true, and I almost don't want to say this, but I will. It may be true that Piper switched in 74. The 74 is sticking out in my mind, and maybe it's for something else, though, but 76. So, okay, cool. Um. Yeah, um, certain. Casey says. Casey yeah. says I get the money talk, but what about people that get into GA just to fly the family and enjoyment? I would argue, yeah, that's a lot of people. Where's that? At? Still going to be taught. That's I don't know. It's in the chat. Is it way up just, or? Um, uh, maybe a dozen up. I can't even. Okay, it's not go that. Go it's not Sorry. that. It's not that far up. Okay. Um. Yeah, within a dozen up. Um. Yeah, there's going to be times when. You you just you got to go practice, and I, I'd work those in when, just you have time set aside, but you're not flying the family around. I don't yeah, know. but she's so. But but the I'm not power a, off one eighty. Family man. The power off one. Stop it! Stop it! I hope that I. Gee, oh, story for another day. Story for another day. Stop it! Why do you even say that? Uh, anyway, roll. I didn't mean Jesus. to. Well, yeah, but you know better. Track, but you know better. Anyways, hey. um, she's talking about GA though for just flying the family. He, he, it's Casey. He's okay. in the. He's I, in the I don't he's know. He's got the. You were talking about him, but he's doing upgrades to his interior on his plane. I think. Oh, okay. Well, unless, I, was, it, I apologize. Unless Hell, I, I don't just know. butchered. So, it, well, the, uh, I'm bad with regardless. Names. I apologize. I reg- regardless. Um, if you're just gonna fly the family, so uh, the other and I forget who's talking about the 180s. Um, what? The power off 180s? Because you're talking about the money, putting the money in in, in the time it costs money. That's what yeah, they're I think talking, that's what about. He's talking about. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. So I was just trying to see who who was talking about. So Spencer was talking about the power off 180s, which I apologize, we don't really have any tips and tricks for that. But they're going. That's a commercial. That's a commercial rating, or or your CFI. So, like, you go do that. I mean, if you just want to go do GA, not guy, you don't have to worry about necessarily the power off 180s and, you know, get, you know, executing these maneuvers perfectly, which will take time, which takes money. So, yeah, if you're not going to do these maneuvers and you're just going to go fly GA and family, I'm all behind that. I can't wait till I'm at that point where that is like where my head is at with things. Now it's just like going through the motions, like, I don't even want to go flying. So, two different sides of it, I guess. I would say, yeah, you still need to practice, though, even if it's just pattern yeah. work and stuff once in a while. There's We're not advocating. Times where, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I was doing the power off 180 stuff prior to, instru- after I got my private. If you know it's private. a thing, if you know it's a thing, let that be a metric for you because that will help you dial in the energy management. Chances are if you... In my opinion, chances are if you can do decent landings already, you have a pretty good grasp on it. We're just taking that timeline out that you have to continue to manage it, manage it so that you end up when you're in that last, you know, 10, 6, 3 feet of the runway, you're right where you need to be. All of it about all all, all it is about is ending up at that three feet well deep into the flare, right? You're just, fl- you know, uh, back pressure to, to ease it out, maintain the altitude above the runway and just roll it on. All we're trying to do is we're trying to just manage the energy 
all the way through. If you can already get to the three feet above the runway point on airspeed, so airspeed, altitude airspeed, those are your energy components, right? So airspeed should be a foregone conclusion if you've gotten to the three feet part. If you can enter, manage that last bit of energy in ground effect at three feet above the runway, we're just trying to take that amount of energy management that you must already have, and we're just trying to draw that backwards in the timeline and allow you to carry uh, the proper amount so that you end up at that same three feet above the runway or so at the same point. So you don't need to say, oh, I'm going to beam my touchdown point throttle, you know, a throttle to idle and then, uh, you know, wrap it around and land. You don't need to start like that cold turkey, but start just ask yourself the question, do I think I can make it from here? Yeah, I think I can. Try it and just go from there. Do I think I can make it from here? If the answer is yeah. And the, so there's some subset things. Rob, do you have more to add? Because I've got a little bit here or no. I'm good. Okay. So one thing that I always ask or that I try to work with, and Jeff is in here, so he like he knows firsthand because Jeff kind of witnesses like the before and after Lee. Like I had my, like I was learning to flight instruct. I was learning about aviation while I was trying to teach him and others. And I have, I held then beliefs that I probably don't hold now and vice versa, good, bad, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it's always an evolving thing. But one thing like I definitely do now is so, well, I, I think I did this then too. So you've made the decision. I've said to myself, I think I can make the runway from here without power. So what you want to do is you come to you, like, let's say, so in, you've said, yes, I can, make, I think I can make it, which is half the time, right? <laughs> and, and that's the why we're doing the exercise when, so you've made the decision. So you bring the power to idle and, um, what you do is you you have to see where you are, of course, in the pattern. When you're on downwind, it's easy to think you're going to make it because you're landing on that runway for a reason, and likely it's because it's in the wind. So you're not going to feel the full brunt of the, the headwind, and you're going to start seeing a little bit on base because you're going to go from a tailwind to a crosswind, which is basically, you know, negates anything. You know, maybe you're pointed a little goofy, but by and large, your ground speed is pretty much neutral on a no-wind day for the most part, and then you turn final, and then it's like, okay, now I got this 10 knots or more right on the nose, and you can see your forward progress. You're descending at the same rate, but your forward progress is squashed. So now you're really, really coming down. So you're at this crossroads. Okay, well, the, my natural instinct is to pull up, you know, to just kind of milk this. Well, yeah, but now your ground coverage went down like by a lot. So one of the things is, I mean, if, if obviously you can put power back in because this is a simulated event, uh, hopefully. Um, what you can do, if you recognize it early enough, obviously avoid further configuration, meaning less, don't do flaps um, or don't do more flaps. If you're far enough out, you can bring the, if you have flaps in, bring them up. Yeah, you have a momentary sink, but the long term, again, recognize it early and we're multiplying, it's compounding. Because you're getting rid of that drag as early as you think you are high, it can help. But chances are in the pattern where we're just like kind of screwing around, you're typically in too close for it to have a long enough effect on you. So you can bring the flaps up uh, if you're far enough out. If not, keep the flaps where they are. Don't add more, obviously. That first 10 degrees, the takeoff flap setting, whatever, that's going to tend to be almost all lift and very little drag. As you go into further detents or settings, that's going to shift more from lift to 
drag. And when you finally get to your landing flaps, that is almost all lift, very little extra lift, or almost all drag, very little extra lift from like where you started. I mean, you can, you can look at if the, you have a POH or AFM that says, you know, flaps 10, this is your stall, flaps up, this is your stall speed. So flaps clean, this is your stall speed, your VS. Um, and then VS1, VSO, you can see how those don't change linearly. Like you may gain a, a three knot buffer on stall speed from clean with flaps 10, but you, from flaps 10 to flaps 40, it might only be one or two knots. So it's not not really linear. So you'd have to just kind of know the airplane on that. Delay further increases in your flap setting. And what you can do is bring that nose down, increase airspeed, which will increase your ground coverage. And what you can do if you if you identify this, so if this is like a real emergency and you've realized you're early, you're obviously not going to bring power in because the engine's really failed. What you can do is bring that nose down, increase your airspeed as much as you can spool it up in ground effect or point, you know, maybe, you know, 10 feet below the top of that tree or whatever obstacle you're not going to, you don't think you'll clear and then hump it up over with that. Can you've built up, you've turned airspeed, you've turned altitude into airspeed kind of prematurely. Um, and in this case, you don't really have an option. Um, altitude into airspeed prematurely, hump it up over your obstacle. And then you're going to have to go right back down on the other side of the obstacle. That's one thing you can do if you see that you're low, in a real emergency or you're really trying to eat, you know, get the last little bit out of this exercise of a simulated emergency. That's one thing. If on the other side of it, you think you need to, um, uh, if you're trying to go from an energy management perspective, you okay, Rob, I know I'm going yeah. like way along here. If from an energy management perspective, um, if you're just playing around the pattern, try to, Use and this is probably the simplest thing you can probably do to really start getting a feel like from a building block perspective. Instead of increasing, f keeping a consistent, which there it has its place to keep a consistent power setting for sure. Breaking in an engine, just being really, really gentle on it on a cold day, whatever. I like sometimes if I'm thinking about it, if I'm really thinking about it, I will uh, like I'm gonna beam my touchdown point. I'll or uh, before I pull my carb heat in. I'll wait a little bit longer to, to, to kind of get to that stage in the pattern. Normally I do it about midfield, but if I do it like wait till I'm being my touchdown point, I'll pull, I'll be at my cruise power setting or, you know, my pattern power setting. I'll go carb heat on. And then after the carb heat's on for a few seconds, I will then make one power adjustment and I won't make any more until like, I'm like committed. I'm going to, I'm going to land. And that just takes time to start understanding energy management. You can do that. That's one thing you can do to help try and minimize your power changes, which the that's good for the engine anyways, um, especially in the winter. You're doing all kinds of erratic power changes or big power changes. That's not good. We want to be gentle to the engine. Think about that. Cool. Shot, I don't want to say shock cooling, but cooling, rapid cooling. Um, that's one thing. And then if you get to a point where you're flying around the pattern, um, try and reduce power instead of increase flaps. Make the default be, oh, I can get to that runway with less power. That is probably the base building block that I would recommend trying to use. Use less power and less flap. And then work from there. Do what your instructor says if you're at that stage. But I'm just saying if you're trying to master energy management, go that's that's really the the base level you can start at. Instead of like, oh I need I need to be on speed or I'm 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 high. Well, yeah, so pull power, don't add flap.
if that makes any sense. Because we're trying to get somebody off the training wheels of needing power to get them to the runway and understand the drag profile of their particular airplane. I would say bigger bigger picture-wise, my two cents would be, and this doesn't really help people who are like actively trying to focus on the rating. This is more for like pilots who already have the rating mm-hmm. or like aren't pursuing a rating that requires a technique like the 180 is, isn't required yeah. for the for the private. Um, so commercial, whether but yeah, yeah, whatever whether you've already got your commercial, you're not or not even intending to get a commercial. But say you have a private and you're you're bopping around, or just practicing landings and stuff or or different maneuvers. Once you don't have the pressure of having to learn it for the requirements of a rating or you know you're and your instructor's not with you anymore and your DE you're not with a DE doing a check ride you're just you're you're now a pilot and you want to get better so let's say you already have a private pilot's license uh and then you're flying around say you know it's a weekend it's a it's a sunday it's a saturday and you've got the the day free and you're going to go you're going to go fly so most most of us are just my my inclination on those times was I want to just go, you know, sightsee real quick and then do some practice landings, which is what I would typically do. I go fly around Lake Erie Islands and stuff for half an hour and then I'd bop back, do some do some landings at, back at Huron. Maybe I'd, I'd go down to Norwalk for fuel. But once in a while I would, if I had a spare 20 minutes or like my landings went good, like I did a couple landings and they were just phenomenal. Which is what usually happened back in the day. Not yeah. not anymore, but back yeah, right. in the day. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I'd be like, okay, let's try the power off 180. Let's try to tinker with some different stuff. And that's I've mentioned in the podcast prior to this, where I would, I would just do it over and over again, messing around with different configurations, like four degrees of flaps, no flaps, um, you know, varying when I'm starting that descent, you know, all sorts of stuff, just messing around with it. And what you learn from that, it's, I don't know, it's not like something that's going to count towards a rating. It's not something that's even easy to explain, but that tinkering without the pressure of a check ride or hitting hours or some sort of certificate requirement, just tinkering around and playing around with that that's so i got more out of that i think almost than a lot of my training just tinkering 20 minutes at a time at the end of a flight when i was bored and just yeah. trying different stuff um power off 180s i i tinker around with that a lot and do it one or two just with no pressure you know i'm the only one on the plane nobody's watching I'm just tinkering around to see what I I can make the plane do just for my own self gratification. And that I learned a ton from that. So I, I just can't underestimate once that pressure of getting the rating is off, once there's not a CFI sitting next to you and you just, you know, you're just tinkering around, the pressure's off, the stakes are are, you know, there's no stakes. You're just trying to tinker tinker with it. See see what when you when I do this, this happens. When I do that, that happens. That's a that's a ton of learning. And even if you're the the family flyer who got into it, you know, not, not as a career, you just want to fly. 
the family around, you're doing trips and stuff. There's going to be times in between those trips and stuff where you're just going up, you know, for some pattern work, run the plane, you know, keep sharp because you haven't flown in a couple weeks. Those are the moments where you, you know, you go do the land, you go do the pattern work, you know, you grease on the landings, you figure out those landings, and then it's like, okay, is it going to be more, just start tinkering around with stuff. I, I just think that's invaluable. 100%. Couldn't agree more. That's 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 what I said too. Just took yeah. me five minutes to say it. That's all. Yeah. I just, that's, I, that's just what zoned, I, to say. I just zoned out for a little bit. While you're I know you always do that, which doesn't See, help me out any, so thanks. What you say you zone out when you talk to I know, too, but I'm allowed to. That's not, what you are not, for is to keep me on track. It's just See I don't I feel like it's unfair that you get to zone out when you're talking for long monologues and I don't get to zone out. Did you just zone out? I didn't zone out for yours just now. Not even yeah, for I a took, second. I took like two or three minutes, though. So. And I always I don't zone out for at least five to ten minutes after you start talking. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm I'm remembering all of this. Um. <laughs> so I went down, went down, went down. Um. Jeff said that's pretty much all I taught him. I think is basically power off 180s for the most part, which is true. And I would go, you have to, I think that is an important, I wouldn't have been able to bring this out then, but I know now it was because I was trying to instill the power management and look where he is now. So I will, several of my students, I guess I would say, look where they are now. So I'm going to somewhat stand by that. I wish I would have put more stabilized stuff in for short field and, and whatever, but what I think you gravitate towards the soft field or the, the stabilized anyways, for the most part with maybe without knowing what it is. And, and maybe it's not quite right because you don't know exactly what you're trying to achieve, but I think people gravitate towards stabilized anyways, for the most part, because they want the consistency of outcome and um, just the ease. It's just, not, I don't want to say lazy, but it definitely is easier. So I think you gravitate towards um, the um, power off or the um, stabilized anyways, in it for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, would you suggest, um, Andres says, uh, would you suggest starting turn earlier, preserving altitude, and then slip? I, um, I'm with Barbara. I probably would not. I probably wouldn't slip. I don't really like that. It, some airplanes can't really do it. If you have an airplane that can do it with your flap setting and this, that, the other thing, if you know your airplane, you know it can do them, um, that's always something to have in your back pocket. And in that case, it is always better to... If you know you have that additional drag and that capability, yes, it would always be better to preserve a little bit of altitude and take that in and make sure that you're good and then you don't have to really be creative about things. Um, I would 100% agree with that. I buy, I'm not really... I wouldn't try to slip if you don't have to. I mean, I fly a J3 a lot. Well, I used to fly a J3 a lot. I didn't really slip that often. Um, I can't really remember when I did a landing where I... Had to do a slip. Had to do a slip. Um, but in an emergency situation, be, being high is better. Rolling off the end at 10 miles an hour is way better than landing 100 feet short at 100 miles an hour. So for sure, keep that in mind. If it's a real emergency, but I think knowing you have that is great. Having the skills and knowing the energy of your airplane and the drag profile, I think is, is huge. We got, we're letting people roll in here. What's everyone drinking? I'm back on the wagon. 
I got the. I, rum. I saw that. So what do you got in that cup there? I got the. Uh, I got Pepsi oh, and El Dorado Twelve Year. My my new favorite rum as of Excellent. the last couple months. The El Dorado Twelve has been my favorite. Great, Barbara. Hello. Hey, Barbara. So I'm uh, coming I'm on my way over to the dark side. On. Mick Ultra. Ah yes. We, we had a dark diaper party. Uh, they were left over, so I took them. Nice, nice. Yeah, Mick, Mick no, Ultra. It's all right. Not bad. It's all right. I drink some Mick Ultra. I was drinking yeah. Mick Ultra. I was drinking Mick Ultra on Saturday. It's it's one of my favorite beers. I'm not a big beer yeah. guy though. Casey, hello. Hey Casey. Hey Bob. Bob's drinking a blue moon, blue moon. with an orange. Nice. With an orange, yeah, yeah. I don't have any alcohol. Isn't What'd you say, blue? Scott? Hold on. What'd you say, Scott? I don't have any alcohol. What? what? I don't what have is any. that? I finished. Oh, it's okay. Seltzer water. Gotcha. It's just water. Mix some vodka in that yeah, or yeah. something. We need to get you any. emergency vodka. This That's is, what I'm saying. In the fire the extinguisher cabinet. I want it in the fire extinguisher cabinet. You yeah, break but, the glass yeah, in case of emergency. If I had, I know. I was gonna, if I had emergency vodka, I'd have had it <laughs> over the weekend. That's where I, I was. That's where I was. So we got to get oh, you. Man. We have to get you emergency tequila, <laughs> and then that'll motivate you to a. You won't drink it. Unless yes. it's an emergency. No, I just, yeah. I just won't B, drink it. Like, I wouldn't drink <laughs> no, no, it even no, if it no, was no. an emergency. It's, that means you always have alcohol in stock because you know we'll make you take shots of the emergency yeah, tequila I, I and you don't want to do that because no one likes tequila. You would have to physically oh, come here and I have some I could really hire good. Bud to go there and do that. I have some tequila <laughs> that I just got and I've heard multiple, like, can't go wrong. We should all try it because I don't like tequila either. It's not even open yet. We should try it. I heard it's like life changing. What? Even if you, it's uh, called Suavecito Anejo. That so it's like an ultra age, an ultra age brand. It sounds like tequila, brand. so it sounds terrible. Well, I hear you. I haven't tried it. Like I said, I, well, I got three brand new things here that I haven't tried any one of them because it's tequila and I hate tequila, but I've heard it's life changing. Just something yeah. to say. This is. Or just something into, to try. If you're into rum, yeah, this is know. one of the greatest rums I, I've ever tried. This is like the third bottle I've gotten. Okay, I can't delicious. read that on mine, but... Yeah. I could yeah. Eldorado 12. I drank, I drank some yeah. shine on Friday. That was pretty... It, was, it wasn't very good. I mean, it was strong, but like... Wasn't the best shine. Did it I don't, burn, I mean, it did was, it burn too much? Whatever, it okay. Just hadn't been I, like, I haven't had shine. Mellowed out yet, or... I just I don't. It's probably just because I haven't drank it in so long, and I don't. I haven't drank whiskey in a long time yeah. either. So it just. I have some like wrong. apple pie moonshine. You know? I have like kind of melon out in my garage right now, and some mason jars. I had some the other day, and it's like, oh my yeah. god! It's, yeah, it's so smooth. It's yeah, so like smooth. The, the, and it oh, just like, white. yeah. Whoa! What did, just hit me like sledgehammer? It's great. It is great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got some moonshine for Christmas two Christmases ago, and it was it was like lighter fluid. It was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like the guy with a blue moon. Like, if I have a thing, I just I'll just keep stuff. Like, if I have a um a glass of it, and I'm pouring a can into a glass, so you can hang the uh, the orange or whatever. I'll just keep stuffing oranges in it. I'll have like six or seven oranges in the bottom of this thing by the time I'm done. <laughs> I, I do that too, orange. like at the at the bar or something like that. When I know I'm going to get a new one, yeah, I'll eat the orange too. Yeah, 
Yeah. I don't know if that's sa- I don't right. know if that's uh, yeah. sacrilegious or not. I don't even know. I I put the orange in the beer. Like Do you I squeeze it or you just put, put it, it in? in? And then when I finished, I just oh, push I it down. No, I, I push it, it down in the glass. Yeah, I just push it down and then I let it absorb the beer and then I yeah, eat it. Like yeah, orange yeah. beer. I don't know if I don't know why it doesn't. I mean, this whatever just seems like a good okay. idea. We got. We're bouncing on and off of uh, 20 viewers here, so we can probably get rolling here. Uh, Air speeds. <laughs> you ever have Ron to Jeremy Ron rum? Ron to Jeremy rum. Yeah, too much Michigan. Oberon is good. Bell's Oberon is really good. I like their two-hearted ale, too. Just fights off scurvy. This is so hard. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop looking at the chat. All right. If, Sorry, we're guys. Doing air, we're doing air speed, so yeah. um, we'll move the chat maybe in that direction. Um, <laughs> we have zero pro- show prep for this. Lee, you said you needed twenty minutes to show prep. Have you done that yet? Because no, I wrote down. I wrote down a few of <laughs> the ones we're going to cover: indicated airspeed, calibrated airspeed, equivalent airspeed, and true airspeed. Um, I wrote them down, so I couldn't. So I didn't forget what they were. Gotcha. Indicated, true, calibrated, equivalent, ground. Yeah, different order. Oh, I forgot ground speed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, probably yeah. a big one. That's what everybody cares about. Just read a form about aviation. It's ground yep. speed. 